Well, good evening and thank you for joining us tonight and welcome to our new member, Kathy, uh, who's joining us. And just to give a little bit of an overview of our um, of our uh, show tonight. Oh, there you go. I saw it all the way over here, oh, so I, I thought know. I'd help you there. I was going to get it after. Thank you. Our class is designed to help uh, you become a better disciple of Jesus. And what we do is go through one or two chapters of the Bible every week with the goal of understanding the Word and how to apply it to our lives. And like I tell people, uh, there's a lot of interesting things we talk about in this class, um, archaeology, history, languages, cultures, uh, but the goal is for us to understand the Word and apply it. And so when we leave this place, we say, how can we practice what we've learned? And then come back uh, in next week and see how that went. And you can uh, feel free to share. Like uh, we said, this is interactive. I, it kind of seems like a lecture, but it, you know, I'll ask a lot of questions. There's no wrong answers. Uh, in fact, I know that many people, you know, if you're thinking something, just ask it. Feel free to interrupt me at any time. Sometimes it seems like I'm, I'm on a kick and I'm going, but you can stop me. Uh, I would love that. And I like to tell people that um, although I've been studying the Bible for decades, I learn from you as much as you might learn from me. And so this is, this is great for all of us. Tonight we're going to uh, dive into Genesis chapter 4. We have been through uh, the first three chapters of Genesis. And before we go any further, I think it's good to kind of set some expectations. We kind of do this every week, continue to set some expectations for the class. Um, the first uh, couple of weeks we talked about kind of the, the difference between the figurative and the literal language of the Bible and how we don't want that to be a stumbling block. And so for this class, uh, we acknowledge that much of the Bible is written in figurative language. That means kind of generalized language like parables, poetry, song, but it all has a, a, you know, a kernel of literal truth. It's all true. And so rather than try and worry and argue, you know, is a particular passage figurative or literal, kind of the ground rules for the class is we acknowledge much could be figurative, but we say any passage in the Bible could be literal. And we have to be willing to accept that Genesis, you know, the, the six-day account, um, the blood of Christ, and, and so on. That frees us so that we are not caught in a trap of arguing with each other. Is it literal? Is it figurative? We accept it as truth. And what we're going to talk about tonight is kind of the continuing kind of foundation for this class. For as you study the Word of God, the Bible, I like to say there's three questions I always ask. Um, of the passage so that I can understand it. Again, the goal is to understand the Word of God as it's been laid out in the written scriptures that we call the Bible and apply it to our life. These are the three questions we ask, and I encourage you every time you read something to ask these three questions. The first is, who wrote it? This can be a general comment. It can be specific if we know, but who wrote it? Second, who is the audience? The author is obviously writing to a group of people, and of course you can extrapolate and say he's writing to you in the you know, 21st century in the United States. That's generally true, but it was also true there was a specific audience of the time when that passage was written. And the third is the most important. What's the message? I've changed this from the past because I want it to be a little different. Well, I was thinking the first way you also yeah. say, like, what kind of person wrote it? I think that's, yeah, well, let's do that. Thank you, hon. What... And that was a good way of saying what I was trying to say. What kind of person wrote it? It might be a specific person like Moses, but what kind of person? What kind? That's good. Here is, I would say, the kind of, I, I would say this is assumed. I would say this is kind of what I, I believe. That for any passage in the Bible, we can answer at some level all three of these questions. Now, the reason I say that is because I think we have to accept what the Word of God is. The Word of God is not meant to be a code, indecipherable, mysterious, um, you know, script that's not discoverable. I think the reason that God allowed the Holy Spirit to speak His Word through man and women and have that written into a textual form so that we can understand it. In fact, uh, many cults from the first and second centuries AD, after Christ uh, came to earth, actually relied on fooling people into saying, look, the scriptures are too mysterious for you to understand. Come to us and we will tell you what they, they secretly mean. And, and that, I do not believe, is what has happened. I believe that any passage in the Bible has a clear message that we can understand. Now, 
the trick here, and this is going to be important tonight. And, and again, I say, I assert that for any passage in the Bible, you can understand what the message is. I also assert that the scripture contains just enough detail to understand that message. Now, in some cases, there may be even more detail than you need to understand what is the point of what I'm reading. Why is it important what I'm reading? And many times there's a lot of extra detail, and that's wonderful. Our Creator has allowed His Word and knowledge to come to us so that we can understand it. But as we're going to kind of find here tonight, as we go through the beginning of Genesis, you know, the the next few chapters, it's not always going to be the case that every question you have can be answered. And I'm going to, I'm going to set an example here. Um, <clears throat> as you read through, uh, we're going to talk about Genesis 4 tonight, uh, one of our chapters. This is Cain and Abel. <laughs> as you read through Cain and Abel, um, again, I assert that the core meaning of why that story of Cain and Abel is in the Bible, we can figure that out. We know why it's in there. As you read it, you may start to ask yourself further questions. Well, who did Cain marry? (laughs) Um, And and as we go through here, uh, there will be some other questions too. We'll learn about Enoch, a man who walked with God, who apparently was taken up by God before he died. You may ask yourself, why? Why did Enoch never die? Um, We'll continue on. Um, We will talk about the Nephilim, who were on the earth, apparently, in the days just after creation, you may ask yourself, who are the Nephilim? And this is, this is why I'm talking about this now before we even get into the text. At some level, there will be additional details, um, um, narrative, um, words, that there is no concrete explanation for what they are or, or why they're even in there. Um, As I say in this class, what I'm here to do is help to explain to you what I know. And what I know largely comes from what is written in the scripture. Now we can fill in some of the extra that is not necessarily directly revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures through things like uh, uh, culture, archeology, span history, to some degree tradition. Uh, A good example of this is the Apostle Paul. Nowhere in the Bible doesn't mention exactly what the fate of Paul is. However, I would say with, I would say 90% confidence. Tradition says he was martyred in Rome, probably by Nero. I believe that. Now, I will always point out when there's something to that effect that I'm not sure about, but I think I'll make that very clear because I want it to be very clear what we talk about in this class is what we know, (laughs) not what we think. Um, of course, there's always wild speculation about all kinds of things. And I'll go back to something like the Nephilim or about Enoch. Now, there's many very smart people who think they know what are the Nephilim? Um, why did Enoch not die? Um, who did Cain marry? Um, but for the purpose of this class, this is very important. If we can't directly answer some of those questions, I would argue it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because what we'll see here tonight, something like, who was Cain's wife? Um, But I thought that Adam and Eve were the first humans and their children were the only people on earth. Yes, that is true. At this point, we have no evidence that God created other humans. Adam seems to be the progenitor of all human beings. So you would assume that Cain probably married his sister or, um, you know, some relative of him as, as people are reproducing. But see, that's why in this class I don't want to get drawn into those because the point of what we're about to read, for instance, in Genesis 4 has nothing to do with who Cain married. It has a lot to do with who Cain was had in a relationship with his brother, Abel. And we'll talk about that. And this is just an example of I don't like to get drawn into kind of rabbit holes in which I don't have confident information to tell you. And so we can speculate. I just want to be clear that we'll focus mainly on the passage and its meaning. And if we can answer those, those ancillary questions, but we'll be, be careful not to go too far. Okay. That's a big explanation for starting. Why don't we go ahead and start with reading Genesis chapter four. And I like to ask for uh, volunteers who are willing to read. And I think we're just going to read the entire chapter. So this would be 
uh, verses 1 through it looks like 26. Who would like to volunteer to read all of Genesis chapter 4 for me tonight? Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Eve said, With the Lord's help, I have given birth to a man. After that, Eve gave birth to Cain's brother Abel. Abel took care of flocks, and Cain became a farmer. Later, Cain brought some food from the ground as a gift to God. Abel brought the best parts from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord accepted Abel in his gift, but he did not accept Cain in his gift. So Cain became very angry and felt rejected. The Lord asked Cain, Why are you angry? Why do you look so unhappy? If you do things well, I will accept you. But if you do not do them well, sin is ready to attack you. Sin wants you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were out in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Later the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? Cain answered, I don't know. Is it my job to take care of my brother? Then the Lord said, what have you done? Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, and now you will be cursed in your work with the ground, the same ground where your brother's blood fell and where your hands killed him. You will work the ground, but it will not grow good crops for you anymore, and you will wander around on the earth. Then Cain said to the Lord, This punishment is more than I can stand. Today you have forced me to stop working the ground, and now I must hide from you. I must wander around on the earth, and anyone who meets me can kill me. The Lord said to Cain, No. If anyone kills you, I will punish that person seven times more. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, warning anyone who met him not to kill him. So Cain went away from the Lord and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. He had sexual relations with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. At that time, Cain was building a city, which he had named after his son Enoch. Enoch had a son named Irad, or Ered. Ered had a son named Mahujal. Mahujal had a son named Methusheel or whatever, and Methusheel had a son named Lamech. Lamech married two women, Ada and Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabel, who became the first person to live in tents and raise can cattle. Jabel's brother was Jubal, the first person to play the harp and flute. Zillah gave birth to Tubal Cain, who made tools out of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I killed a man for wounding me, a young man for hitting me. If Cain's killer is punished seven times, then Lamech's killer will be punished 77 times. Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve again, and she gave birth to a son. She named him Seth and said, God has given me another child. He will take the place of Abel, who was killed by Cain. Seth also had a son, and they named him Enosh. At that time, people began to pray to the Lord. Now, I will ask you, what is the message of Genesis chapter 4, or messages? And in this case, what is that sin? What, what, what is sin, in, essentially? For someone who might not know what that means, in a general sense. Disobedience to God's laws yeah. and statutes. Right. <clears throat> Yeah, great. What other messages do you uh, take from this? Well, they both brought offerings to the Lord that uh, had an improper heart yes. Ah, you heart. went right to the heart good stuff. Attitudes. I love this. Yes, the heart is important to God. Um, <clears throat> and he knows it without even... Uh -huh. he, he knows. This is what, it. Because it says in the scriptures too that we don't even we don't even know our own hearts because they are love this. evil and can deceive us, but God knows our hearts. God knows our hearts. This is this is both wonderful and terrifying. This is really good. Humans still have direct contact with God. And like in verse 6, God came to Cain and knew his heart <clears throat> yes. and actually tried to prevent what was going to happen with him killing his brother. He actually was like trying to tell him how to he was calm down. From yes. yes, yes, yes. God giving yeah, Cain 
chance to to own up. Mm -hmm. What'd you do? What'd you do? Nothing. Yeah. Well, he told God told Cain to he, that he must rule over his sin before he becomes brother. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Like he, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, that just kind of goes with what Laura said. This yeah. is great. You must rule over your Out. This is really good. Conquering. It's like God, like, what's <clears throat> teaching them? Like, he was trying to teach Cain how to yes. live. Yes. Yes. You know, as a like teacher. Yes, yes. Now we have, like, the Bible. So, but he, like, had God. Right they had nothing. They had God himself. Giving him advice. <laughs> giving him the yellow words. I mean, you know, it's right there. Like where it says in there, sin lies, its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Yes. You look at all the sin. This is it. In our world now, yep. and it's just, oh God. trying to rule over the people instead of them ruling over that sin. That's it. That's to rule us. We see the, oh, and that's it. That's exactly it. And and as we saw from the, you know, as we read the last, uh, first three chapters, we saw as the creation was good, man was very good, right away, sin begins to creep in to creation because humans have free will. One of the greatest gifts of creation there is, is your free will. You're not a robot. You're not, to some degree, an angel who must obey. At least the messengers of God must obey. You're special. You're made in the image of God, but you can also choose whether you want to obey or not. And as we know, all humans, given the chance, would do exactly what Adam and Eve would do. In fact, we have done that, right? So we can't blame it all on Adam and Eve. We're in the boat ourselves. But look at this. So chapter 4, we're getting a really good sense now of sin. And it's good to remember here that God is patient. He's careful. He's slowly revealing to the human race truth, right? Like we have, again, to, to Laura's point, we have thousands of years of truth, they had just started to receive it. Sin damages you. It damages your relationship with others. The first damaged relationship was what? A marriage. The first damaged relationship on earth was a marriage. The second damaged relationship was what? Brothers, siblings. We can see an assault on the family already, right? God cares about relationships. It's the most important thing to him, which is why he even gives us his word, so we can understand him and how to live in peace with him and others. Already, four chapters in, we've seen two significant relationships damaged by sin. And not only damaged by sin, what happens when sin occurs? Is it just the one time and the sin and then it's over? What happens when people start to sin? Multiplies, snowballs, yes. Multiply. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He knows our hearts, which um, can be um, damaged by sin. It's a two way street. <clears throat> It's interesting here um, <laughs> the comment about God trying to get Cain to kind of own up to what had happened. The very first thing he does is give God what? A lip. Uh, lip. Yes, that's a very nice way of saying it, Laura. Snarky response who, I don't know about you, I think I'm superior to everyone, right? If I'm in the presence of God and he asks me a question, I don't know that I want to give him lip. But, you know, we're all human. We probably would, right? It's like Back the usual in. response with sin is to deny or yes. avoid it not take responsibility. So sin. He said he didn't know where evil was, but he knew well where evil was. So already we have a lying. Gosh. And then he gave the That's other it. smart aleck answer about yep. uh, I'm not my brother's keeper. Which is a play on words because his brother was a keeper of animals. And so if you know that, Abel was a keeper of animals. Cain is like, what am I, my brother's keeper? Like, am I my brother's shepherd? 
You know, that's a like double backhanded thing, right? Double lip. We see lying. We see, we see. Yes, hard heart. At least, yes. Hatred, anger, coveting. These are not the fruits of the Spirit, right? These are the opposite of that. No. They're the opposite of that. Yeah. And King cries about it. Then the Lord is great, gives him grace, and says, Mine, I will make it better for you. This is great. This is a big one. Now, you, uh, for, for those who are new to Christianity or new to the Word of God, maybe all they know is what they've heard their friends say about the Bible. They may think it's full of violence um, or anger or, or you know, you know this, this being up on high who's, who's not fair to humans. Let's say you start from zero and you start reading this. You start to get a picture that, A, we're getting in our own trouble here. It's not being imposed on us. And B, we see the evidence of a creator who actually cares about us, who's trying to help us, but he's not bailing us out. It's more like a parent. He's trying to let us learn from our mistakes and coach and guide us, but he's dealing with humans, right? He's dealing with adults um, who can make their own choices. You see this gentleness here. You see this, this care and respect. He could have just killed Cain. I mean, let's be honest here, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that kind of thing. Oh, you killed your brother? You're dead. He doesn't. There's consequences. Maybe I should say there's consequences for sin. Right? <laughs> I remember when my, one of my grandsons would get in trouble and the parents would say, I'm sorry, Connor, there have to be consequences. And he went up the steps one day and said, I hate consequences. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. It's so true. It's so true. That's what we feel inside, right? He said it. Get off three. That's so true. That's great. You know, I'm so glad that we live on this side of the cross. Ah. And we've had a chance to read the whole Bible. Yes. We talk about these yes. things. Many scriptures mm-hmm. come up about if we confess our sins, faithful mm-hmm. and just, yes. sins and cleanse us of that only. Amen. And it's just Amen. It's so much easier to oh study this yes. when, you, when you know that. Yes. And let's, that's a good point, actually. Right away, we see that in order to appear, and it seem, it's kind of not, it's not entirely clear, we see already that sacrifice seems to be a part of kind of appeasement of God. Um, you can see how human beings, without the cross, are trying, struggling to understand how to reconcile themselves. And it becomes this whole thing that the Hebrews have of the law of the sacrifice, right? To... They must, they must continually sacrifice to appease God in his wrath. And again, this is God knowing the future. No, he's setting up the future. He's setting the foundation. But as we've talked about, he didn't bring Jesus on day one for a reason. He needed to set up the story. He needed to show how this all progresses, right? But he's already laying the groundwork. In fact, last time we talked about how the snake was cursed, right? The serpent, who we know is Satan from Revelation, um, you know, entices humans into sin by eating of the apple of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But already God curses the snake and said, her descendants, meaning Eve's or the human race's descendants, you will strike the heel of that descendant, but he will crush your head. Already, the work is being laid for the gospel, the message of Jesus and his redemption of the human race, and how sin will be defeated. But for the Hebrews, there's a journey to go on first. So, a long journey. Okay. This is good. Any other questions or comments about Genesis chapter 4? I am going to skip chapter 5. What do you deal with the song that Lamech is singing? Um, it's interesting. The one that there's yeah. like this kind of song. Yeah. Like verse 23, 24. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can, yep. Ah, he, yes, there, there's another murder here, and he's a bigamist. So this gets at the big picture. What is the message of this passage? What we are starting to see here is that snowball effect 
of sin in the world beginning to continually corrupt each generation worse than the last. You know, I think the the song of, of Lamech is in here, right? First he married two women, right? Yeah, uh, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Lamech has wives, listen to me. I have killed a man for wounding me and a young man for injuring me. So he has committed... Yes. Two murders. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. So here we see how the descendants of Adam are starting to really lose it. Without structure, without a relationship with God. Remember, relationships are the most important thing to God between him and us, a relationship between him and mankind, both collective and individual. Without that bond, we've already seen human relationships fractured in different ways. And now we're going to see how, because the human race is starting to continually separate themselves generation after generation further and further from a relationship with God, the sin knows no bounds. And that's what we're setting up here for the story of Noah. I mean, we're really setting it up. It's really lawless. Okay? Oh, and I guess the, the last sentence where at, at that time people begin to pray to the Lord... I yes. think that kind of says that and we start right the there. chapter with God talking directly to people. Yes. And then we end the chapter with now he's not directly talking to you. Yes. Frequently it's yes. you have to pray to him. That's how I get yes. it, but I don't know Yes. First I want to call attention to the fact, you probably already know this, if you look at your English translation of the Bible, anytime in the Old Testament you see the word Lord with all caps that is actually on purpose. That is because we have now revealed in Hebrew God's real name to the, to the human race. And I will write it because I know I will not be struck dead. <laughs> Y-H-W-H. In Hebrew, it is the letters Y-H-W, essentially in English, Y-H-W-H, Yehovah or Jehovah. This is God's name. Now, I say that with the utmost reverence because in antiquity, you would not even say that out loud. In fact, we're not even sure how it's pronounced. We're not even sure if it's an acronym for something longer because the Hebrews and really only the priests who would be reading these kinds of things, you would never even say it out loud. When they copied it, they copied it with the utmost reverence. In fact, um, the scribes who copied the manuscripts of the Old Testament would, in some cases, completely ritually bathe and cleanse themselves and then sit down with their fresh garments on and sit down and with the clean pen write the first letter Y. Then they would get up, take off all their clothes, have them cleaned. They would ritually be cleansed, go through this entire process, get clean, get new clothes, sit back down, and write the H. And you see where I'm going here. It was the most revered word to the Hebrew people. But it's not always used for God. In fact, we have many, and I, I won't get into this too much, there's, there's different Hebrew words that refer to God. And we kind of know this, right? We've heard of things like uh, El or uh, Elohim. And then there's, of course, all of the derivations of that. Uh, El Shaddai, El Elohim, um, <coughs> Jehovah, his name, but there's also derivations of that, like Jehovah Jireh, um, Jehovah Nissi, and so on and so forth. But this is really important, and, and Laura rightly kind of refers to this. At some point, early in creation, God decided to tell us what his real name was. Now, maybe that doesn't seem like a big deal today, because today we have no problem using and knowing everyone's name. In antiquity, it was a big deal. To know someone's name was power. To know someone's name was power. In fact, in the spiritual world, it was extremely powerful. And this is, again, it's a bit of a diversion. In the New Testament, Jesus um, approaches a, a man who has been, um, <clears throat> who has been uh, seized with many demons. And, you know, the demon tries to, to say to Jesus, I know your name. Because, why is he doing that? Because he's trying to say, if I know the name of Jesus, I have power over Jesus. But what did Jesus do? He goes, I know your name and it's legion. 
right? I know your name. That meant, this doesn't mean much to us today, but in the past it meant, I know your name and thus I have power over you. God has decided to tell us his name, and it is with the most reverence that we have it. So Jehovah is God's real name. It's not always written, but anytime again you see the all caps, that is where in the text they have actually written, it's called the Tetragrammaton, it's the, the YHWH, the Jehovah. Anyway, it's a really important moment in human history, but Laura is also right in the sense that We've gotten so far from him. Now, instead of, you know, like I say, um, if all you ever uh, spoke to your wife or your husband was once a day for two minutes, if you're lucky, when when you're going to bed and you fall asleep talking to her or him, and maybe it's every day and maybe it's once a week, how long would you have a relationship with that spouse of yours? (laughs) um, You wouldn't last long, right? Man started with, God walking in the garden with man, right? Enoch walked with God. God walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Now we're getting to the point um, where it has been so far removed, suddenly it's like a new thing. Oh yeah, there is a creator and we need to get back to him. And you can see the human race realizing that. Um, and it's, and it's, it's actually quite sad. Okay. I will say this about Genesis 5. We're just gonna, we're gonna skip it I think I would like you to read it, um, you know, definitely on your own. I think the reason we're skipping it is um, I'm not going to spend too much time in here with lists. I will say this about the genealogies. Again, like the names, it's very important to the Hebrew people, the genealogies. Who is descended from who? Said a lot about your status in society, um, what clan you were a part of, what family you were a part of. Um, It's important to know that in antiquity, to say you were a father meant you were an ancestor. So just because the Hebrew says father doesn't mean you're a biological father. It could mean that you're an ancestor. And we know this is true because when we get to the Gospels, Matthew and Luke both refer to the genealogy of Jesus um, by saying the sons of so-and-so or the, you know, the father of so-and-so. And he sometimes, they both skip generations. And that's okay. That's okay, because um, that was very common in antiquity, especially amongst the Jews and the Hebrews. So I don't want you to get caught up in that kind of thing. But the point is, we're starting to see now the generations of human race that have descended from Adam, and we're going to go to Noah, which is the flood. And that's where we're going to pick up chapter 6. So, here we go. The flood. Who would like to read Genesis chapter 6 for me? Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children with them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was just was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was correct, excuse me, corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the arch arc shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above. And set the door of the ark in its side. 
you shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breadth of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself. And it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him. So he did. (laughs) There's a lot in there. (laughs) What... What are the messages of Genesis chapter 6? One was, of all the people, there was only Noah. Uh, that favor with God. One, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to write it that way. One man with favor. One. What else? We think it's it's a good point, actually. Yeah. It's a very good point. The thing that really stood out to me was how sad it is that it said God's heart was filled with pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like, and then does he feel that way today? Like when we. What is your translation? May I ask? Um, it's the Living Bible. The Living Bible. The Spirit-filled Life Bible. Okay. Life Bible. I like that translation. I do too. It's, it's my favorite. I've had three or four different ones, and I just love the word. It's good, it flows, but I will also give it props because there are always difficult, I would say, passages Mm -hmm. that we read that often sometimes the translation doesn't do it any favors. I'll say the NIV does not do it a favor here where it says instead of that God was sorry, it said God regretted making man. Now this might not matter to some. To others it might say, well, I thought God was all-powerful. How could he regret doing something that he must have known was going to come? And I... No, I, I, and I say I'm a, I'm a Greek scholar, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I did look this up, and the word for sorry, regret, in Hebrew does in fact mean kind of a wide swath of feels bad for something. It can also mean to have comforted, um, to console, but it can also mean to feel sorry or bad that something has happened. So that, I think, takes a little bit of that that sting out to say, well, God regretted what he did. Not really. He felt bad that it happened. That makes me understand it better. He knew it was going to happen. He felt bad that it was going to happen, but it wasn't unexpected. I mean, we, we wouldn't want to limit God in that way. So, did you have a... Yeah, no, I just think it's made me sad. And then I thought, does he feel that way about us today? You yeah. Yeah. Know, like, yeah, because you know, we're, I'm sure... We're, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There had to be some sort of spiritual rebe- re- yeah. rebellion as well. Just uh, yeah. the sons of man um, yeah. came and uh, got involved with the ladies on the earth. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And that wasn't supposed to happen. Right. And this there is was a rebellion yeah. in the spiritual level as well. It went rogue. It went evil. I think, Craig, you're getting it. This is the message, right? The question, who are the Nephilim, really? Some say giants. Um, another way to say it, um, I think... Yes. I'm trying to look up my meaning here. Mighty men, right, right. Um, or fallen ones. It's not entirely clear, but you've hit the nail on the head, Craig, and saying, what is the point of that? The point of that is that spiritual corruption of man has happened. It has come in from... The spiritual realm, it has, it has been generated through human choice. It's, there's no other way to say it. Human race has been thoroughly corrupted. In fact, to Kathy's point, so much so that God was not only willing to destroy the human race. Remember, God is very powerful. Look, he created the universe simply by speaking his divine creative word. You have to imagine um, there are instances, as we know now, later in the Bible, where angels of death can kill 120,000 humans in one night. But God was so grieved, 
he didn't just devise a plan to wipe humans from the earth. He was so grieved he was going to wipe what from the earth? Everything. Yes. 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 But yet at the same time, he didn't do it right away. He waited 120 years. So God is always uh, a saving God, hoping that we repent and turn away from the world. Yeah, God, I'm going to write it that way. I'm going to. And Yes. That was great. I want you to. I want you to think about Noah. Ninety years in, I think about this sometimes. What? Ninety years in, and still there was. I, I don't think it was very clear. It's not clear. If, I'll say this from the passage. It's not clear if the passage means that Noah knew when it would happen, or if it was just when he started, or that was his age, or how long it would take. I think it's pretty clear. It wasn't. It wasn't clear to Noah when this might happen. Now I want you to think too. If the world is truly corrupted by sin, that means everyone Noah knows, except for his direct family, are are being horrible to each other. Can you imagine building that ark for a hundred years with the kind of hate and spite and reviling you would get from the human race? I don't know about you. It might make me not such a good human anymore. (laughs) And yet, he did it all by himself. Just think for a minute. Jesus only had three years on this world to be reviled and hated and crucified, right? Noah had a hundred, and he wasn't crucified, but he was certainly, I'm sure, the receiving end of a lot of anger and doubt. How, what does that tell you about Noah? He was a righteous man. I'd say that's good. Yes, Noah was righteous. Not perfect, as we will find out. Not perfect. Righteous. You know, though, he heard God talk just like Moses heard God talk to him. Yes. So when he led those people for 40 years and some of them were complaining and everything, Moses stuck to what he heard He heard the voice of God. In order to hear the voice of God, what do you have to be doing? Be listening yes! And have a clean heart. Yes! Listen and have a clean heart. That's it. He was listening. And he had a good heart. Yes, I agree 100% with this. <laughs> Much is made of... You know, yeah, I'll go to that later. Anyway, yes. What else does this say of God? So we're learning a lot about Noah. We're learning a lot about God. God was patient. Mm-hmm. What else are we learning about God? He always has a plan. Oh, this is good. Always has a plan. God. Always. I'm going to, I'll lay this egg on you. One of the things I am starting to kind of understand about God and his plan so I can understand it, is how many of you have ever read one of those choose-your-own-adventure books? Okay, maybe that was more of my generation in the 80s, right? And they had these mostly fantasy books where, because now that we have video games, it kind of supplanted that, but you would buy this book, and it would be like, you know, the knight, the knight's rescue. And you would start on page one, and it would say, you are a knight, and you have gone to, you know, the castle of, you know, I don't know, Grindenwald or something like that, to rescue the princess. And you come to a door, Option one, you uh, knock gently and ask for permission to come in. Option two, you pull out your mace and you bash the door down. If you pick option one, go to page five. If you pick option two, go to page 20. Now, both of those are written. So you can pick either option and then you can go. And what I'm getting at here is the entire book is filled with choices. And... As you proceed through the story, you can go down a path where your choices determine the outcome. Maybe you end up fighting a dragon. Maybe you end up dying. It's mostly you die. Um, And in one case, some circle back. I know, I gave it away, right? There's thousands. And in one path, you save the princess, right? I am starting to understand how, in some ways, each of us has a plan. And this is biblical. God says in Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. But how does that allow my free will? How does that allow my choice? Well, and we'll talk more about this. If God has already figured out what Craig's plan is, who he's going to be, where he's going to be born, what he's going to look like, who his friends and family would be as he came into this world, 
you have a plan that God has devised that is your plan. Laura has a different plan. But they each involve choice. At some level, God has figured out, and, and maybe this is wrong, it's just how I kind of help understand free will versus his plan. There is a plan. Now for me, I feel God has figured Brian is going to be born in Urbana, Illinois, and he's going to be born to this family, and he's going to know these people in the 20th century, and these are the things that he's going to do. And he is going to choose his adventure as he goes through life, and he's going to move through that adventure. And at some level, as he now knows, I'm going to end up here in Iowa in the 21st century teaching the Bible. It was a rocky road to get here. It was a rocky road to get here. But I do believe he had a plan. I don't believe this was an accident. I don't believe he's making this up as he goes. I think he is too smart for that. And for each of us, we are following the path that has been laid out for us. It's ours to choose. I can choose to go to page two or page four, but that choice will have consequences that God already knows what's going to happen if I do that. This allows me to have free will and God to be sovereign at the same time. God had a plan. Now, in this case, this plan was not just for Noah. Who was this plan for? The whole human race. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? Individual and collective. You saw a word in here. I hope it jumped out at you. Let me see if I can find it. If you know it, say it. Um, let's see if I can find it. There's a word that God in this passage says he is going to make something with mankind and with Noah specifically. Yes. Yes. This is a big one. God makes a covenant. In some ways, it's the first covenant with man. In other ways, you could say the you know um, the 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 pre um, gospel covenant with Adam and Eve is there. But here we have undoubtedly a covenant. What does a covenant mean? Yes. Yes. Agreement between parties. What else? Right here? It's a binding. Binding, yes. It's binding. Um, yes, binding. What is that covenant? Yes. So what does this covenant have? It has... Promise and provision. That's it. Oh. Kathy's reading my mind. Promise. So she must be right. (laughs) (laughs) No, I've been reading too much of David Jeremiah. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. It helps, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Promise and a provision. How awesome is it to have a promise from your creator, right? Mm -hmm. A promise. I promise to do the following. Now, like any good contract, often there's a role to play for both parties. What is the role that Noah is expected to play here? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. His difficulty might have been I'm going to say it this way. It expects obedience. I'm not going to say it requires because that goes down a different rabbit hole. Because I think what God often does for us is to expect obedience. Sometimes we don't give it. I'll, I'll give the example of baptism. Baptism is the first act of obedience that God expects us to do as saved Christians. It is not a requirement. Because if it is, then it's works that save you. right? So here... God expects it. But here I think, too, God has already written Noah's plan. He knows what Noah's going to choose, and he wouldn't have picked him unless he knew it. I think that's kind of that chicken and egg thing. I know you're a righteous man. You're the only one on earth. If I reveal myself to you, you will trust me enough to build an ark for 100 years and to do what I tell you. So because of that, I will then establish a covenant with you. A covenant tends to be something that lasts what? Yeah. It has a duration. It has a duration. In this case, 
we kind of know the end here. The end is what? What is the duration of this covenant? What is the exact covenant? Because we're going to get to that maybe next time. You are, I think we mostly already know it. It's the rainbow and all of that. What does that signify? The promise. Yeah. And again, you could say he's being a lawyer here because he is going to destroy the world, but it's not by flood. He promises not to destroy the world, the entire world, through flood, ever. Now, if you get this contract, and you receive this, and you go through 100 years of him building this ark, and then you go through the year or so, probably at least, that he was in that ark, and you saw everyone you know die, the fact that you got out of that thing on Mount Ararat, stepped out and remembered, and saw that which we'll get to, the rainbow, and you knew that he said, I'll never do this again, that probably meant a lot to you. Yeah, you don't have to buy flood insurance ever. Yes! <laughs> I love that. I love that. But I love that God can trust Noah too, because it said, yeah. thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. I love that. He commanded him and he did it. How awesome is that? Because I think that it goes back to what we learned in chapter 4, mm -hmm. that God knows our hearts. Yes. And it said that, like, Noah was a good man, the most innocent man of his time. Like, it shows that God knew his heart. Yeah. So that's why, yeah, yeah. he chose him. Like, yeah. Was he perfect? No. No, because he was no. human. Well, because yes. it just says he was the most innocent man of his time, which, right. if everybody's corrupt and evil and horrible, yep. then maybe he was just, just like, just like Google, David. like us. I don't yes. know. Yes. Like, like David wasn't perfect, but he had a heart yeah. for God. That's it. He sinned, but he yeah, had faith. Yes. And was yes. Just by that faith because yes. it had never rained before. I think the waters right. came up from the ground as mm. mm -hmm. the rivers mm -hmm. uh, watered the gardens. But, and right. people, uh, you're crazy, it's not going to rain. Right. <laughs> Wouldn't that be weird if you've never seen rain and all of a sudden you're like, what is this? <laughs> it's a good point. It's a good point. And then when I said something about that he had heard God, yeah. we can hear God. Through yeah. reading the word. Yes. But they audibly heard the voice of How awesome that. is that? That's it. Mm, that's amazing. Now, I will also say, while that is technically true, with your Holy Spirit indwelling within you, the Holy Spirit speaks to us through humans as well. And so how awesome is that, that when a righteous man or woman is speaking through the Holy Spirit to someone, you can hear his voice. And I think that is a gift. Mm -hmm. I think yes. that is a gift. That I don't have to, you know, the Prince of Egypt, Val Kilmer heard his own voice, right? Did you, you ever see the cartoon, the Prince of Egypt? Oh my gosh, it's good. It, it's really good. Um, but, but, but Moses hears his own voice when God talks. And I'm like, no, that's not how it would work. He'd hear God's voice. I think it would be really cool to hear God's real voice. How awesome would that be? Terrifying. But. Okay. You would hope that you would obey <laughs> like, no. After you get off the ground. <laughs> like, it, it's interesting, though, you know, that we choose yep. our own adventure sometimes, yes. knowing that, you know, it might not be in God's way. Yeah. But then we all think that if God said something yeah. to us, then we would, oh, yeah, I, then I would definitely obey, but... Or, or we, we, we need we, our plans we, and then ask, ask God to bless right. it. Here's my plan, Lord, and bless it. I love it. That's why towards the end of Bob's life, he said... Who better to follow than Christ? And mm. he started praying, Lord, not my will, because he was mm. praying that God would heal him on the earth. And then he started saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. Mm. God had a reason. Mm. Whether yeah. he healed him on the earth or healed him in heaven, there was going to be a reason why. I love that. That's great. Wow, thanks for sharing that. I was, when you were talking, I was thinking about Moses, right? Yeah. God spoke directly to Moses, and Moses was like, I can't talk. Like, God's like, you need mm. to talk. And he's like, I don't know how to talk. Like, you know, I can't do it. And he like, just right? looked at God like, no, no, yes. not it. And I'm like, I think... Face palm. He's very relatable. Because I think yeah. that we, a lot of us would be like, That's that it. sounds really scary. I don't want to go back to Egypt. That's it. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling pretty good here. Mm -hmm. You know? Right? That's true. <laughs> but we want to be... Noah, he's like, yeah, I'll build an ark for a hundred years. Mm -hmm. And get mobbed mm -hmm. for a hundred years. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Land prices were cheap after that, right? You can have any. <laughs> well, that's great. And I think that brings us to a natural uh, stopping point here. And we'll pick up the rest of the, the Noah story next time. Um, but 
I hope this is starting to sink in. And, you know, I, I always want to say, you know, think about what's a takeaway here. What, maybe what are some takeaways for you as you're reading this text? What do you think God wants you to get out of this and kind of apply? I know. <laughs> I know he's asking me to be more of a seeker ah, all the time. Okay. And I do seek, mm. seek truth and seek, okay. seek him, but mm. he, that's, he wants us to seek him. Mm. Listen, maybe, right? Yeah. That's great. Thank you, Kathy. There's consequences for sin. Yeah. I don't Yeah. God is holy and separates us from God. Yep. Yes. Though we, yes. Uh, of course, we still sin. Yeah. We just have to have a heart of repentance. Mm. Because we're not perfect like Jesus. Yep. yep. We fall short. Yep. To learn to stand bold. Mm. <laughs> That's a great one, actually. I love that one. God has spoken something to you or put yeah. something on your heart yeah. to be bold and, and stand graciously. I like that. In that and stand with that. That's great. It's not always easy, is it? No, it isn't to, to do that way. Yeah. I think that's what keeps a lot a lot of us sometimes from maybe speaking out yeah. or witnessing yeah. or whatever because we're a little concerned about how people will yes. look at us or yes. come back at us or whatever. Yeah. But... If God puts those words in your mouth, then you need to speak them and trust yeah. Him. And sometimes, because my daughter said this the other day, she said, Mama, I just didn't come back. I probably should have been stronger when that person said that. And I said, No, you have to trust the Lord because He knows the part, the heart of the person yeah. that you speak to. Mm. If their heart's not ready to receive it, He may not give you those words to say. That's very so fair. Said, oh, thank you. That, that's that's really great. True. But you know, that's yeah. If, if you're if you're truly seeking him and you're desiring to be used by him, mm-hmm. then trust him. Mm-hmm. He may he may make you a Noah and people make fun of you, but at the same time, if you've heard him say do yeah. this, mm-hmm. I'd rather follow him than worry about. I think that's it. Their comments. I think that's great. I was thinking that about. Um, God being patient and gracious, yeah. and I think that's something I need to be more. Ah, okay. Because if yes. that's like that with me, I need to be more patient and gracious with other people. Too. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Any lessons? I guess the only thing that sticks out to me is you know, no matter how far we're separated from God because of sin, He kind of always gives us that way to get back. Ah, that's really good. It's never too late until you're dead. Never too late. Thank God. And it's how great that he brings us, he gives, he, that he shows us the way to get back to him, right? Yes. Ah, I like that. I like that. How about you, Stace? All of it. All of the above. I guess I, your uh, example of the book kind of really help, helped me sort mm. out free will mm-hmm. plan, you know, it it just made it a little more clear, mm-hmm. you know, that's always been a... There's a lot of people that chose the wrong adventure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. There's no is the only one. That's true, and that's Somehow the most unsafe people. Just, just starting the day off kind of yeah. praying uh, for empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I love that. Led by the Holy Spirit because that's mm. mm-hmm. the Spirit that dwells in us. There's a verse in Timothy I was just thinking of. Um, I don't have it memorized that well, but uh, <laughs> you know, we were we not given a spirit of timidity, yeah. but a spirit of power, power love, and self control. Yep. Mm-hmm. That was Bob's favorite. Yeah. Okay. Because mm-hmm. yeah. he, he was battling being afraid. Having oh. cancer, mm-hmm. yeah. God, what's it really going to be like to mm-hmm. run this earth and stuff? And then he started. Sometimes he'd say it right. more than once in a day. He'd say it. Out, he'd speak it out loud because he believed to speak it made the mm-hmm. enemy flee or any any doubts that he had. And remember, had. the Holy Spirit is not just the breath of God or the presence of God. It is His power in you. Mm-hmm. His power is in you. Mm-hmm. That is very freeing too. To know. 
I have the power of my creator inside of me to help me. And yes, not cowardice. So don't worry. What's the worst going to happen? I got the power of God in me, yo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, in the natural, you can't do that. I mean, it that's would be, it. Like for Bob, it would be terrible and fearful. And, yes. You know, could uh, be. But, <laughs> yeah, but you're powered by the Spirit, yeah. so it's and something that's different. How mm-hmm. That's how we made it. It's by the power yeah. of the Spirit. You can glorify God. Yes. And that's why we ask him to answer our prayers. Not, as some say, to spend it on our own pleasures, but to glorify God. That's why he answers our prayers. Mm